You've scanned the headlines, read the articles, and liked the posts. Now listen to the experts themselves in the Future of Work podcast, presented by allwork.space. Are you ready? Welcome to the Future of Work podcast by allwork.space. I'm Ceci Amador de San Jose, and today I'm looking forward to talking about cybersecurity implications that come with having a hybrid workforce and digging into insider threats with Joe Payne, CEO of Code42 Software. Joe, welcome. Hi, Ceci. Good morning. Good morning. And for those of you who don't know Joe, Joe is the president and CEO of Code42 Software, a leading data security company that focuses on reducing the risk of data leakage from insider threats. He's a seasoned executive with more than 20 years of leadership experience. So Joe, I want to start just with a basic question. Why is cybersecurity such a big topic today? Um, insider threats particularly, what are some changes that brought about this topic? Well, that's, that's a great question. So let's just jump right in. Uh, uh, cybersecurity itself is a very broad topic. And one of the reasons that it's so important today is that almost all of our work is digitized today. So, you know, every important plan, every important customer list, every important design for all kinds of firms is digitized. And so, if all of your intellectual property and all your company's best ideas and all of their customer information is digitized, it means that it can be taken via some form of cyber attack. And so that's why, you know, 20 years ago, companies weren't so worried about cyber threats, uh, but today they are because all of their best work has been put in a position where it can be easily taken. Now, on insider risk, it's most what most people don't know because the press loves to talk about, or the general press loves to talk about hackers and nation state actors stealing information. But last year, two thirds of all breaches were actually caused by insiders. And that means employees, uh, contractors, temporary workers are really responsible for a lot of the data that leaves an organization. And what are some of the ways that this data is leaked through insiders? Is it malicious? Is it unintentionally? Uh, what are some of the most um, common data leakage points um, that you have identified? It's a, it's a great question. Let, let's maybe, maybe I'll step back and give your readers a little more context with what's also changing in the world at the same time that all of the data is being digitized is that we have great technology today that allows all of us to work together in a collaborative manner across lots of different teams. And so specifically, we have things like Slack and we have things like Teams and we have cloud services like Box and Dropbox and OneDrive. And all of this new technology that has been launched in the last, I don't know, five years or so allows me and you and our other friends and colleagues to work together in a seamless manner across the internet, basically, and across networks. And in the last six months, we've all, some people that were laggards and learning how to that, use that technology have all learned how to use it because COVID-19 has forced us all to work from home or many of us to work from home or work remotely. And so we've all had to learn how to use Zoom, how to use Slack, how to use Teams. And those technologies are fantastic for sharing and collaborating and working together. They also make it really easy 
to move information around an organization. And that makes it easy for employees to keep that information and get exposed to information that maybe isn't part of their domain or isn't something that they should be keeping and um, and they've kept that information. So what we see is that a lot of times when people leave an organization, um, 60% of people report that when they leave an organization, when they quit, that they take information with them to their next job, to help them in their next job. And um, so that's more than half of people admit that in a survey. And our data indicates that it's actually even much higher than that. So there's a set of people that are smart enough not to admit it. And so how are people taking information? The same way they share it. They're taking it via their um, Dropbox account or they store it up in their um, Gmail account. They send themselves a Gmail or um, they put it on a thumb drive or an external hard drive and take it that way. And um, a lot of this is... Um, maybe not meant to be malicious. They're not trying to hurt a company um, or their, their previous employer, but they are really proud of their work and they're under the impression that maybe they should try to keep some of that work. Um, I've had, we had a, a situation at our company where an employee just wanted her contacts and she took her entire hard drive, which had lots and lots and lots of confidential information on it. So sometimes it's not malicious like that, but sometimes it actually is malicious where an employee is, stealing um, what are really important trade secrets. And a good example of that is, you know, the folks at uh, Jawbone lost some employees and they all went to Fitbit and they took some of the most important intellectual property that Jawbone had. And that eventually really caused Jawbone to go out of business. So it can have pretty dire consequences for the company who has their data stolen in, in that kind of scenario. So we see both malicious and we see non-malicious. And um, you've uh, said before that you that companies should always assume positive intent. Um, so basically, what you're saying here is that companies, when an insider threat or a data leak happens, that they should assume that it was not maliciously done. Am I correct? We we believe that at Code Forty Two, we believe that at Code Forty Two, we built software that helps monitor um, employee activity, and it, it, it's not about looking at the contents of what employees are doing, but it's a looking at the kind of file movements that might happen on a certain, with, with every employee. So you have a sense of if somebody's leaving, are they taking a lot of files with them? Maybe that requires some investigation. What we believe though, is that everybody should be collaborating all the time in their jobs. And so we don't want to block people from collaborating with each other. And we, we want to assume positive intent. We want to assume that everyone's working together as they should be doing, doing the right things. Um, but the, the company also needs to make sure that it, it verifies that, um, that, that there aren't malicious actors that are doing uh, what they shouldn't be doing. So we, we, we call that trust, but verify. Then our approach will really help, really helps companies stay productive, stay efficient, trust your employees, let them use all the tools that they want to use um, that the company sanctions, and um, but also keep an eye on, on everyone. And, and that really deters people from doing things that they shouldn't do. I, I like what you said about a company trusting its employees. And I think that's definitely a big part of having a good employee-employer relationship. Um, and I kind of want to ask, what's the role of training um, in, in insider threats and cybersecurity? Because 
a lot of people, I mean, a lot of people are really good at what they do on their jobs, but they might not be as knowledgeable in cybersecurity topics and in insider threats. So I want to assume that a lot of the time data breaches have happened because they just don't really know what they did wrong or that something posed a risk. Um, so other than training, what type of training companies should offer their employees, particularly now that many are working from home as a new arrangement, what are other, some other steps that companies can take to kind of like protect themselves and prevent insider threats? You, you're absolutely right, Ceci. The, um, any kind of activity like this should be built around a program. So it's not enough to throw technology in. And the first two things that we tell our customers at Code42, the first two things you want to put in place is transparency and training. And so transparency is to make sure everybody knows that, hey, what you do at work and, and your computer is actually monitored. So, you know, you put you, you you're very clear with everybody. Hey, we do monitor the activity. We do monitor this so that there is no sort of secret spyware concern that, that, that everybody has. So transparency first. The second is training and super, super important that you train people on the technologies that we have available in the organization to be successful. Here's a perfect example of, of, of why training is important. And, and um, a lot of times, as you point out, that the activity is not malicious. Most companies today have either a Microsoft OneDrive or a Google Drive installed in their company where they want their employees to, to store their data in the cloud. Um, if an employee does not know how to use OneDrive, but they've used Dropbox in the past for their, you know, soccer team or for their local church, uh, you know, club or or some other sort of B two C activity that they do outside of work, they'll find Dropbox is super easy to use. And we've seen a lot of circumstances where employees say, "Hey, I want to share this document with my colleague, and I have Dropbox, and it works really well." And I send them a link and I share it with them. There's no malicious intent there, um, but that actually creates risk for a company because now their corporate data is outside the organization in Dropbox. All that, that's easily solved with a little training video from the security team or from the HR team that says, here's how you use Microsoft OneDrive. And here's the uh, reasons that it's it's good and it, it works just as well as Dropbox. And um and again, it's a, a just an example we see time in and time out for for our uh, for our customers because employees just don't know the risks that are involved. And the other piece of training that has to happen um, is that younger workers today um, who have not been in the workforce for a very long time can be confused about you know what they have a right to. So we often see engineers who say, "I'm really proud of this code that I wrote." And um, I built a correlation engine for my company, and I'm really proud of that correlation engine. And I'd like to take it with me to my next um, company because I, maybe we can use it there. Um, but that's really not appropriate because the company paid that worker to build that engine, and they own that engine. And so sometimes it's just a matter of explaining to employees, you know, what you own versus what the company owns. And so that's an important part of training also, because again, a lot of younger workers just haven't been exposed to these issues in the past. And we're not aware of, of how uh, the laws work and how 
companies own the, the products that they take. So those first two parts are super important to any program. And then and then we layer on technology to help sort of enforce that and 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 verify that. And most of our clients at Code 42, you know, 90% of the incidents that they face, they will just educate the, their end users. And that education really helps because then the end user tells the other end user and then tells the other end user and tells the other end user and everybody understands that in our organization, these are the, the processes and policies that we run. So hope that's helpful. Yeah, and I definitely, uh, you just hit the nail on the head on one of the things that I wanted to address. And, and it's um, not just with younger workers, but people that are very proud of their job. And I can see this in, I want to say in all fields, but particularly creative fields, so like writing, um, product design, uh, in PR, press contacts and stuff like that. I can definitely see why workers want to take that information, that network, their creations with them. Um, and sometimes, not all the time, kind of like the who is owner of the rights of the work produced is included in contracts. Um, not always, but then, I mean, people read the contracts once when they when they sign the contract, they sign it. But then if they've been with a company for a long time, you don't really remember everything that was on your contract. So I can see how that can create certain issues and, and potential threats and you talk about transparency also, and you were talking about different kind of like software that can monitor the activity of employees and stuff like that. Um, isn't that a privacy breach? Like, how do you define kind of like where the surveillance should should end or, or what should be appropriate and what, what shouldn't be? It's a great question, and you've got a couple of different um, issues there. Um, the first is is when people are working um, at their organizations, um, they, uh, I think, being transparent goes both ways. If you're about to leave your company, what I would tell your listeners is super important would be to simply have a conversation with your manager um, and make sure you say, "Listen, I want." When I leave, I want to take my contacts with me, um, and I want to take a couple samples of my work that I've done here as an important part of my portfolio. And I would tell you that most of our clients would say um, that makes a lot of sense. And by having that conversation, you don't throw any red flags. I think what I would advise your listeners not to do is go copy a bunch of the work that they've done um, and, and and store it away um, without having that conversation with managers. Because um, in every contract I've ever seen and read that you ha have when you are hired by an employer, they'll talk about the fact that they own the work that they pay you, you to, to create. And one of the examples I often use with, with my team is, you know, if you hired a painter to come in and paint your portrait um, and they painted your portrait and then they got up and left and took the portrait with them because they said, hey, that portrait, well, I, I did it. That was my creative work. It, it was it was great. Most of us would say, well, that's silly. You paid them to paint the portrait. And and so we understand that in, in, in that context, but that's also true in the creative work that you do uh, for the company um, because they're paying you to do that work. And so um, I think it's, it's super important to, to recognize that. But I also would tell you that my belief is that most organizations um, would be happy for you to take 
examples of your work and your contacts. But that's something that you should talk to the organization about bef- before you do it. That's a, a really important part of offboarding yourself is, is doing it the right way so that you don't get yourself in, in trouble. In terms of the spyware question and the surveillance question, um, if you're on a company lap, if you work in the United States and you're on a, uh, a, a laptop uh, that's bought by your company, you really shouldn't have an expectation of privacy in the sense that it is the company's property and what you do on that on that machine um, is tracked by the company. And um, all of the company's uh, so- the software does know what websites you go to, um, whether you're watching Netflix on your company laptop or not, um, what you do with the data on that machine, um, your company will know what you're doing there. And so one of the things that um, you should be as cognizant of that. And every company is different. Small companies say, do as much pro- uh, uh, of your own, um, you know, many small companies say, use your laptop as your personal laptop, use it as your corporate laptop, that's fine. But you should know that we do have all the software on there that tracks exactly what you do. And we do that for safety reasons, you know, for safety of the company's information, but also to make sure the company isn't breached in a in a high profile breach, et cetera. Um, but many big companies are would even be reluctant to have you do any personal information. So it's really important that the company has an education program to explain sort of what you're allowed to do, what you're not allowed to do, and, and is very clear with their employees. I think the Twitter um, breach that just happened a week ago, which was a pretty major breach because we had some of the most important leaders in the world whose accounts were breached in the process and tweets were sent out on their behalf is an example of a, of um, a th- an insider threat that was not malicious by the employees, but it was malicious by sort of third-party back- bad actors who were able to take over a um, the accounts of some of some insiders of some Twitter employees and thereby reset passwords and uh, bypass two-factor authentication. Etc. So, if you're an employee and you're listening to this and you're saying, "Why does my, you know, why does my employer care so much about all the cybersecurity stuff? And are they impinging on my rights?" And you know, it's important to know that that for many companies, the stakes on this are very high. So they're trying to keep you secure and your data secure, um, both from external forces as well as a little bit from yourself. From, from you accidentally doing something that could cause a lot of damage to the company. And you talk about employer employees feeling like they have some rights that are being infringed upon. I, I know that, at least in the United States, the law isn't yet up to date with new kind of like remote work practices and new technologies and, and data security and privacy. What are some things that you think need to be addressed, not only at a corporate level, but kind of like as a, at a national regulatory level to kind of um, make it easier to, like if there was an insider threat that was malicious and that resulted in the closure of a company or major losses, what are some things that need to be taken into consideration to make it easier to handle and manage the crisis? Well, I think the the guiding principle for uh, for employees um, is to make sure that they're that they really understand a separation between 
things that they consider very private and personal and what they do on their work machines and on their work networks. Um, and I think it's super important that they, I think a lot of us blend those things far too easily. Um, and we, we all do it at times. And so it's okay, unless this is the old assume positive intent. I, I don't think people, you know, we, we encourage security teams to look for that intent and understand that intent. Um, but not blending those, um, your personal life and your, your personal habits and your corporate life is a super important thing. I don't know that um, there's a lot of regulation necessarily um, that's required in the B2B world um, that's not already out there. I do think, I'm not an expert on B2C security, but certainly all of us are concerned about our, our data being sold by uh, folks like Facebook and Google and maybe other smaller but more nefarious type companies. So understanding um, what what's happening to our data in the B2C world is very different than understanding what your rights are as an employee and what your um, what your obligations are as an employee to the people that are paying you to do your job. Um, and so that that's that's I want to separate these two things, and we can talk about those more, Sessie, if you want to. Um, but I do want to mention one thing on intent, maybe to bring this to life to some of your consumer, uh, to some of your listeners. Um, one of the things that our uh, technology at Code Forty Two does is it looks to see if somebody has changed the um, type of file that something is, and we call that the MIME type extension. But let me explain what that means. So all of us are familiar with uh, a JPEG file, which is like a picture, or maybe an MP3 file which is a uh, song or a piece of music. And um, oftentimes people that are maliciously trying to steal information from a company will actually rename a file and call it an MP3 file as if it, so it looks like a song, or they will take a customer list and change the name and the extension of it so that it looks like it's a picture. And, um, and the reason they would do that is to say, hey, when I'm leaving, I'm just taking my music and my photos that I put on this machine, and I'm taking them with me to, you know, uh, because they're my personal stuff. When a security team sees that kind of behavior, then that's a pretty good indicator that somebody is actually acting with ill intent. And so while we assume positive intent going in, we also look for not positive intent. And that's, that's, that's something that, you know, many of your listeners are like, well, I never even thought of that. But we see that quite frequently uh, when people are trying to uh, to exfiltrate uh, information. That's really interesting. Are there other um, red flags that security teams kind of use to determine if there is malicious intent from someone or not? There are. I'll tell you some of the, the tricks and you'll kind of laugh because you may <laughs> people may think of themselves as like, oh, yeah, I do that. So one of the other indicators that people are... Um, maybe up doing something that they shouldn't be doing is that they work different out. They do these activities on off hours. And, um, and so uh, we have one of the things that code 42 software does is it uses artificial intelligence to look at everybody's working hours and just says, okay, when are your normal working hours and when are your off hours? Because the data shows very clearly that people decide if they're going to maliciously take some information I'm going to try to do it stealthily when I don't normally work. Ironically, that actually is a f red flag 
And so um, people, people that do that, that they do raise their profile. Um, another thing that people often do that you're going to say, oh, yeah, that does sound obvious is you and I maybe work on 100, 200 files in any given week, um, which is our normal sort of working process. If all of a sudden next week I touch 4,000 files, um, that's an indicator that somebody is doing something very different. And that may also be another indicator of compromise that would uh, that would suggest that there needs to be uh, a secondary look at what the activity of that person and then, but I'll tell you the one that is the most, um, the, the greatest indicator that someone might actually um, at least need a second look uh, as to what their activity is, that is they quit. Um, in, this in this country today, last year, about 25% of people changed jobs. We have a very mobile workforce. And um, and that's great in many ways. It's good for employees. It's a way to upskill. It's a way to uh, advance your career. Um, and so, uh, and it's part of what makes us America, which I think is fantastic. Um, but we also, and, and when people switch jobs, they typically switch jobs and stay in the industry that they're in. And so they don't, they don't leave industries. And so it's often tempting if I'm leaving a company in one industry and I'm going to another company in the same industry, it's often tempting for employees to think, geez, wouldn't this information be super helpful to me in my next, in my next job? And, um, and, it, and so that's where most of the breaches actually happen is when people leave companies. Um, unfortunately, that increases uh, multiplicatively when they're let go. And because they're angry about leaving, instead of choosing to leave the company, they've been laid off or they've been furloughed, et cetera. And so over the last few months in this difficult economic environment, when people are laid off and they're angry, we, we see even greater exfiltration of data. And you're, there's a number of cases that have been um, in the press recently where you, you can see organizations that are, um, that are pursuing employees who took really, really important uh, intellectual property. And remember... There's, you know, there's rocket ships being built. There are new types of cars that are being invented, self-driving things, um, which is really expensive intellectual property. Yep. But there's also even, you know, one of our clients is a company named McDonald Miller, which is in the uh, HVAC business. Mm -hmm. And um, they, you would think that's not a very, you know, there's not a lot of intellectual property in that business, but they invented a little uh, capability where you could see um, how their systems would work in your new building on virtual reality. And they won a few bids because of it against their competitors. So one of their competitors hired away someone in the company and asked them to bring that virtual reality technology with them to the new customer so they could compete. And um, fortunately, they use our software. And fortunately, they, they, that person was caught before they were able to take that data to the competitor. And um, so, you know, it's not just the cutting edge companies that are seeing this. It's companies in all uh, areas of the economy that that have to watch out for this problem. That's um, yeah, that's mind blowing. Uh, but I can definitely see it, it makes sense um, that people who are let go be kind of like angrier and have more of a malicious intent at times. Um, say a company identifies some of these red flags before a person leaves. What are some things that they can do? What are some protocols that they should have in place to kind of like handle the situation to prevent the information from leaving the company? 
honestly, that's the best scenario. And one thing that we really stress in our in our business is find these breaches as they happen or or and before people leave or shortly thereafter, because they're so much easier to handle before they get into the courts and law enforcement. So the protocols you have are pretty simple. The first is you ask the employee, hey, this looks suspicious. What? Why are you taking all this information? If it's an egregious uh, breach, if they, they think the security team thinks it's a breach, egregious, they might go f- to the manager instead of the employee, or they might even go to HR or the legal department. But, but solving that and dealing with that upfront with the employee um, is so much more efficient. Um, probably one of the most famous cases of, of insider uh, threat has been Anthony Lewandowski, who took a whole bunch of data um, out of Google and uh, then went to a company called, uh, Way- uh, sorry, took it out of Waymo, I guess, and then uh, went ended up being at Uber. And if you follow that case, um, they, they didn't discover that uh, Google or Waymo didn't discover it and until a year after he had left. Mm. And then um, Uber didn't know that he had brought the information in. And um, when you fast forward to where we are today, he's looking at potential prison time. Um, Uber had to pay hundreds of millions of dollars in, in, in restitution to Google. Google's unhappy, everybody's unhappy. So, and, and for the person that took the data, boy, it would have been really nice to, to, to catch him when it was happening so that they could have just said, you need to give that data back. You need to promise you're not going to use it. You're on notice that you have it. And then he wouldn't be facing prison time today. And this is one of our smartest engineers, you know, in, in, in the country who, um, you know, made some really bad decisions. So big, we are big believers in and do this, uh, you know, catch these incidents early on and course correct people and activities so that you don't have to deal with massive lawsuits, law enforcement, all that kind of stuff. And that's, um, we just think that's a better way. Um, And then switching a little bit of gears, um, the COVID-19 pandemic, like you said, people, so organizations had already their information and data digitally. Um, But with the pandemic, um, a lot of people kind of like were forced into this situation where they had to find a new way to work. They had to use new software. And at the beginning of the pandemic, there was a lot of talk that this increased um, security threats and stuff like that. Have you seen this happen actually over the past six months? Has it been kind of like the same? What are some of the kind of like new implications or areas that companies should focus if they will continue to allow workers to work remotely um, in the long term? Well, there's no question that the surface area for for digital problems is much greater now with everybody working on their home network and working on their uh, a machine at home. And so, yes, it's been a lot more. There's been a lot more uh, cybersecurity incidents. And so, I think the you know what it comes down to is as we've moved lots of um, software to the cloud, and you hear lots of activity go to cloud, lots of applications in cloud. At the end of the day. Um, that endpoint sitting in Starbucks or sitting in your home office really needs to have uh, protection also. And I think there was a, a move in security to really focus on the network and on the cloud, and you didn't really need to worry about the endpoint anymore. And I think security teams have kind of circled back to say, wow, that's that endpoint is a, is a place that can be attacked, but also is a place where, um, you know, exfiltration can occur. So 
again, uh, when an insider wants to take information, they always pull it down from the cloud and then they take it from the endpoint. They either upload it to their Dropbox account or they put it on a thumb drive. And so having visibility into that is really important for an organization to help one necessary course correcting the team um, to do to uh, not do things that it shouldn't. Awesome. And then just to recap a little bit of what we talked about, can you give us the five highlights that you think people should take away from, from this conversation today? I think the most important things that companies should take away from this conversation is that you need to have a program around insider risk. T today, two-thirds of the breaches are caused by insiders, but only 10% of the security budget is focused on that. So you need a program. You need to have a program that includes transparency, that includes training, and that includes technology. So companies need to think about that. And that's what Code 42 does. We help companies build those programs and install that technology. For employees, if you're an employee listening to this, I think the most important thing to remember is to keep a healthy separation between your personal information and your personal data and your company information and your company data because um, the company owns that information and any activity that you do on your company laptop or your company desktop is going, going to be monitored by most companies. And you should have that, that expectation going in. And if you do happen to leave your organization because you're going to move on to a new job or you're going to be doing something different and you want to take some of the information that you worked on while you were there, make sure you ask. Don't, um, don't assume that it's okay and get yourself in trouble. Ask. As I said earlier, we found that most organizations will let you take your contacts. They'll let you take some samples of your work and they'll be more than happy to help you do that. And you'll leave on the right, uh, on the right foot from your old employer. Perfect. So thank you so much. Um, this was a very insightful conversation and definitely covered topics that we haven't previously discussed with our listeners. So Joe, thank you again for taking the time to chat with us. I am thrilled to have been invited. Thank you. And thank you everyone for tuning in once again to the Future of Work podcast. Remember, you can also tune in on allwork.space, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and Podbean. If it's impacting the future of work, it's in the Future of Work podcast by allwork.space. Are you ready?